0: hello everyone okay so let's review this crazy election did you get any sleep i got about
1: two hours i was on late on our evening newscast and then up on our morning newscast
0: it's over the returns are in and today the analysts are going to try to make sense of it all i'm Joni balter kcts9 political analyst with cr douglas political analyst for q13 thank you so much for joining us Today, we'll have to talk about how Clinton and Trump fared here in Washington and nationwide. The lieutenant governor and governor's race are on our agenda. Control of the Washington State Senate, the big sound transit measure, and many more. Let's get to it. Trump, Clinton. Can we talk about what this (laughs) means ever so briefly? A couple of thoughts I had. Uh, Will there be a blame game? millennials going to feel bad they didn't really turn out in very very big numbers uh gary johnson everyone's hoping he had a really fun night uh what about the media's role and the pollsters all of it you know democrats themselves did not turn out in the same numbers as they did in 2012 i've seen a bunch of different estimates but anyway millions fewer democrats and interestingly hillary clinton seems like she won the popular vote but, you know, if you think about this, you can't just run ads that say your opponent is bad. You have to give people some inspiration and some enthusiasm as to why they should vote for you. So I had a, shall we say, disturbed phone call from my millennial son who was making fun of the selfie generation, how they have to just, oh, every candidate has to check every box. And, you know, you have to have a, you know, there's the Obama candidate is not going to come along every time. Uh, and he was sort of doing some, uh, sort of self-evaluating, um, self-reflecting. You know, he said, you cannot say every Halloween costume is racist or sexist. Uh, the accusations have gone too far. Seventy percent of America is white. And as you know, as everybody knows by now, many people in the Rust Belt felt left behind. Uh, My daughter called and she said something about handing over the keys to the apes. But anyway, (laughs) what are you thinking?
1: Well, there'll be postmortems on both sides, of course. What's pretty clear now as the numbers are coming in is that is that that Obama coalition just did not turn out for Hillary Clinton when you polled. It seemed like they were going to. You know, the Latino population was for her. The African-American population was for her. But the problem was enthusiasm because it's one thing to answer a poll that says I'm going to vote for Hillary. It's another thing to actually fill out a ballot and go cast your vote at a polling place. And the turnout was just dramatically lower than it was for Obama in 2012 and 2008. And that really clinched it. I mean, if you look at Trump's numbers, he won with less of the popular vote than Mitt Romney. He won with less of the popular vote than John McCain. I mean, underperformed both of those and still won the election. The Democrats just did not turn out.
0: You know, what was really interesting to me was the way that the pollsters were, you know, almost every pollster said, you know, Hillary's three points, four points. Oh my gosh, maybe it's two points. But I think there was like exactly one pollster that said, that saw that Trump was gonna win. So you have to wonder what happened in those phone calls and online surveys. Why do you think, why do you think that people did not say, I'm for Donald Trump? I plan to vote for Donald Trump. I think there's something very interesting uh, listen, in there. Listen, there's,
1: there's, uh, you know, there's a lot of, it wasn't PC in a lot of corners of America to say you're for Donald Trump. You know, I just got a text today from a friend uh, who I know well, and uh, his husband, gay guy that 's married, voted for Trump. Now, I know these guys for a long time, and he has never said he was been voting for trump you know i mean he 's kind of been a closet trump guy and and you know now is sort of coming out with it at least to his partners so I mean I think you had a lot of that I mean, not as much of that certainly in Washington state, but you know all over the country, you had people where if they lived in kind of these white uh, you know blue collar areas maybe it was fine to be for Trump but in these suburbs or some of these other areas you just didn't dare come out of the closet about it and 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 so there was this silent majority
0: I had this feeling a couple of times that since voters were told over and over again that people who for who are for Donald Trump Are uneducated, right? That's one thought. And also, they must be racist or misogynist. So when someone calls and says, who are you going to vote for? Are you really going to say the guy that is all those things, supposedly? So that's one thing. The other thing in the exit polls uh, showed the 29% of Hispanics voted for Donald Trump. That is a yeah, very I mean, surprising number.
1: That is astounding. I mean, Hispanic vote is what you assumed he was going to get, you know, close to zero of. And, he, and he, if these numbers hold up, that's about what Mitt Romney got, maybe even slightly better than Mitt Romney. So, pretty, pretty phenomenal. You know, what we all underestimated, all of us in media, everyone in polling, I mean, basically everyone, um, was, was the grievance was the frustration, exactly. was the anti-establishmentism that was, that was permeating the electorate, certainly the Republican side, but even on the Democratic side. So, you know, he, he, he sort of mowed down one after another 16, basically, establishment figures in the Republican primary. And here he confronts his final establishment foe, Hillary Clinton, and knocks her over just like he did the others. I mean, this is just not a year to be to be in the establishment. I mean, you just got killed and I should say this quickly. It's not just America. I mean, Great Britain just lost their establishment leader David Cameron had to leave, had to had was forced out of office basically because of Brexit. You have Angela Merkel with all kinds of pressure on her. So, establishment figures throughout the western world are having this same problem.
0: You know, in that vein, voters, if you ask them and push them really hard, they're not exactly, you know, for Donald Trump so much or for his wall or his blocking out of immigrants. They're for change, which is the oldest meme in politics that you can even imagine. Uh, in our state, no surprises. Hillary Clinton won the state. Uh, we could do If we could do visuals on this <laughs> podcast, and we really do need to go visual here, uh, you'd see that she beat Trump handily, what they call the Puget Sound J, the counties that start up north at the Canadian border and then wrap around like a J around Puget Sound. Uh, in that same area, Jay Inslee uh, beat Bill Bryant, the Puget Sound J.
1: Yeah, I mean, when you look at Washington's results, it was very status quo. I mean, all the statewide elected incumbents uh, Uh, statewide elected officials got reelected. If you look at the state legislature, Democrats controlled the House before the election. They still control the House. Republicans control the Senate before the election. If the numbers hold up and they look like they are likely to, they will control the Senate after the election. So while the rest of the country was kind of blowing up things, Washington doubled down on its same leaders it's same establishment policies, it's same direction.
0: I have to say the polling was better here. The polling was was pretty close to what actually happened. It, it, Take the extreme risk protection orders, the statewide initiative 1491. The Washington poll, crosscut uh, KCTS 9 poll, said that would win by 70%. Seventy one percent. I don't know if you can be any closer. I think the polling was better here.
1: It was much better. Yeah. Um, And in fact, it actually underrepresented Hillary's support. You know, I was one of these and we talked about a few weeks ago that thought that Hillary would actually do worse in the state than past Democratic nominees um, because of just the frustration, lack of enthusiasm for her, but also because we were such a Bernie Sanders state. I mean, he won the caucuses. There was all kinds of energy, way more than for her. And I just thought that that would show up in Jill Stein and Gary Johnson. It did a little bit, but that Hillary's at 56 percent of the vote, almost 57 percent of the vote in Washington is basically where Obama was. I didn't call that. so. Our polling, oh, but you call
0: everything. You do such a good job. <laughs> so our polling <laughs> no got all the race
1: outcomes right. But, but interestingly, unlike the rest of the country, uh, the recent polls underestimated Hillary's support. Yes. Yeah, so
0: she currently and, you know, we count ballots forever around here, so it could change a little bit. But she's currently 19 percentage points ahead, uh, a difference of about 300,000 votes. Uh, in the governor's race, I think the polling, except for the Washington poll there, was pretty, pretty accurate, 13 points split at the moment and a 241,000-vote difference. Uh, Gary Johnson, just to go back to that, did have an impact, uh, four points, and Jill Stein, 1.3 percent in the numbers that I looked at.
1: You know, interestingly, when we talk about a status quo election within Washington, it really means that voters gave incumbents and the folks in power the benefit of the doubt, which is exactly what they didn't give, you know, (laughs) the establishment nationwide. And in the governor's race, uh, you see that, you know, big time. There were a lot of questions about the governor's handling of early release of prisoners of Western state? Has he done enough for homelessness? Has he tackled traffic enough? I mean, you know, there were a lot of sort of nipping at his heels and around the edges by Bill Bryant, but but voters gave him the benefit of the doubt.
0: And there, that really is descriptive there, the nipping, because it really was just like these these shots that never seemed to really land, uh, you know, to become a Republican governor of this increasingly Democratic state, you have to be notable, amazing. You have to have done something. So plenty of people may have been, well, Jay isn't, Inslee isn't like the world's greatest governor, but that doesn't necessarily get you up and over the mountain to Bill Bryant. I mean, on his resume, port commissioner— That doesn't necessarily, you know, scream out, replace the existing governor. (laughs) And I want to get to one other point here. You know, in those ads and in those debates, and maybe it was just me, but Bill Bryant seemed sort of angry. And it didn't really match the mood of voters here. They're optimistic. Jay Inslee is just bubbling with optimism and enthusiasm for the Washington economy.
1: Yeah, I mean, people just didn't want change when it comes to the governor's office. Um, the economy's good, unemployment's down, uh, all the rest. You know, it's funny you talk about port commissioner because you you certainly will remember this. You know, when Paul Schell was running... There's a port commissioner. Yeah, he was running for, for, for mayor of Seattle. When was it? Back in, I don't know. Late 90s. Late 90s, something like that. And I remember thinking... Who does he think he is? He's only a port commissioner. Like, he thinks he can actually run for the city of Seattle. I mean, hardly anyone had known him. Listen, he was sort of an establishment elite, if you will, ran in those circles. But it was thought of at the time as like, you know, you got to be on the city council or the county council. I mean, you can't just run for mayor from port commission. And then, you know, uh, he made it. But... It, it but it only lasted one term. only lasted one term, but it, 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 it just it reminded me of, of, of what we were thinking back then, which is, you know, it's not really a launching pad even for mayor, and here Bill Bryant tried to use it as a launching pad for governor. I mean, the biggest problem with Bill Bryant's candidacy, I think you're right, his tone wasn't optimistic enough, but it's hard when you're arguing for change to be optimistic, but he just wasn't known. It was the Bill Who factor, you know, and, and, and that's you need because to spend, he
0: came from the Port Commission. It's that because is he so came to the Port though. Commission.
1: And if you look at all these past governors, they've been they've been attorney generals or county executives or members of Congress. It's just it just was a, it was a reach too far for him. One thing I want to say about the governor's race before we move on is uh, uh, there's a way in which Bill Bryant did win a point or two here on homelessness. You know, he brought that up.
0: I thought that was his best day, maybe, in the whole campaign.
1: And and, and it's, it's, it did touch a nerve. I think Inslee has to respond to this, even though, obviously, Bryant didn't win. I think he sort of won on this point. You know, you have more and more mayors, including the mayor of Seattle, saying Inslee— we need more help from the state. You know, typically this is a local response. They've been cities saying and that counties. for
0: for at least and a I, year since Mayor Ed Murray declared the homelessness emergency. And I think along one with this, Dow One thing this
1: candidacy did is, and this campaign did, is it it, it it pushed that up to the you know close to the top of the list. I think he's going to have to respond to that. I actually interviewed Inslee this morning on on, on Channel Thirteen. and, was and he I smiling asked like that. he normally is? I asked. Well, it was by phone, but uh, he sounded pretty happy. It sounded it? it sounded. But but it, you know, it wasn't on air interview. But I asked about the homelessness issue and whether he has to deal with it and he clearly answers that that yes he realizes it's something the state needs to step up more to
0: so moving along to lieutenant governor uh we have uh, another democrat statewide uh cyrus habib winning and he has been talking about sort of a different kind of role for a lieutenant governor he's going to be a busy one isn't he
1: i think the state Capital and the executive offices at the state are going to start getting very crowded. (laughs) Brad Owen, who had been there for twenty years, was was sort of on
0: the back nine a little bit. Back
1: nine, kind of did his job, you know, did the gavel at the state senate and uh, you know filled in when he needed to, but he didn't try and flex his muscle. Cyrus Adeeb is going to be a different kind of lieutenant governor. You know, I did a debate with with he and his uh, opponent, and and we talked about this idea that he would actually, you know, in effect, veto, not sign legislation, especially budgets passed by the Senate, that didn't fulfill the McCleary mandate that he thought we were unconstitutional. And he is the presiding officer of the Senate and has that has that power. So if he starts, you know, doing power plays like that, and not transferring legislation off to the governor, which is what his signature does, and he stops it there, you're going to get a lot of kind of bumping into each other between Inslee, Habib, Republicans. It's going to get crowded down there.
0: Well, so yeah, so you might say he got out in front of the skis discussing this during the campaign, but I don't think it's anything that's sort of uh, filtered down to voters, they don't know that he actually said this, and they don't know that that's actually a new role for a lieutenant governor, and that the current governor may have to call him up one day and say, mm, "Guess what? I'm the governor. This uh, is how this works." I think you're right. I think, voter, <laughs>
1: I think voters are in for a surprise because I don't. I don't think you know. I brought it up in our debates, and it, it came up a little bit. But yeah, I don't. I don't think that mostly translated out to the public. You know, he's. You got to give him credit. This guy has had such a such a interesting and in many ways hardship past very
0: interesting he's blind from cancer survivor so
1: he he lost both eyes to cancer early Um, Iranian American you know with a name like Cyrus Habib, I mean, let's just be frank. That's not easy to run a statewide office with that name. Yes, and do when you blind. have a D
0: after the end of it, it does seem to work, however, but, right? But,
1: but you got to give him credit. He will be the highest-ranking Iranian-American uh, in the country. And so, um, you know, it's it's it'll be interesting to watch him go forward.
0: So you and I have talked many a time about the Secretary of State's race, which is not a race you often talk about, but this one— was fascinating uh republican kim wyman appears to to have won Uh, she she did pretty well statewide even after her sort of last minute troubles there on the front page of uh the new york times and the seattle times
1: a lot of rookie missteps you know first of all last spring um she missed some campaign deadlines to submit treasurer's reports you know things that some campaigns do Rookie mistake, but the secretary of state who runs elections and she's missing deadlines for, for treasurer's to reports to the PDC, I mean, just pretty inexcusable. And then some of these rookie mistakes about ballots that, that, that you know, had inserts suggesting the wrong date for the election. And, and don't
0: forget the, uh, the mistranslation. The
1: mistranslation, that kind of stuff. You know, I think Tina Podlodowski obviously gave her a run for her money here. She she put up a very aggressive campaign. She drove the agenda and you know, I think that that another messenger might have actually gotten more traction on on the mistakes of Wyman they They probably could have could have done her in. but the problem with Tina was though she was bringing up the critiques, her resume did not fit this job. Her that... resume had no elections administration experience, so I think people would have been willing to go for change in that office, but not from someone that's never done the job before.
0: It was a hard leap to go from city council and Microsoft and say that equals the experience of someone like Kim Wyman, who has actually run elections before. But I have to think also that perhaps some of Tina Podlodowski's issues may carry forward. In other words, she raised the argument of uh, low voter participation, something Kim Wyman might consider now as we go forward to I, to further elections. What, I think about that's a great, the, what about the stamp? I mean, you know, I never really thought about the stamp three until...
1: ballots. I think they are coming. you know, as I said in the governor's race, where you know candidates can lose, but issues can sort of win. i think I think this homelessness issue that Bill Bryant brought up, I think I think it wins and gets some movement. I think Tina brought up some issues that will get movement. I mean, she really forced. Uh, Kim to actually agree with some of these things like automatic voter registration, same day registration, um, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I think you'll see some of Tina's agenda actually be implemented by Kim Wyman. Say on transit, boy, this is another huge one. Oh I mean, my gosh. you and I thought this was going to be closer. I thought they would probably squeak out a win. I think
0: they thought it was going to be closer because they, cause cause they closer. were starting to act really nervous. You and know, jittery. There was a,
1: there was kind of some late trembling in that in that campaign. Um, But it wins. It wins. Not even close. What the votes at eight or nine percent right now. Um, What do you make of it?
0: Well, what I make of this is uh, I read a story. I forget where I read it, but it was this morning that what was winning on the ballot while everyone was trying to come up with their big theme of what was winning on the ballot mass transit was winning on the ballot in seattle and los angeles and these are two places come on when you go to these places what do you complain about when you get there the traffic and so in both places these measures are very very expensive ours is fifty four billion as you know Theirs was was way more than that and but the voters want it and they 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 know it's expensive and they They know they have to pay for it, and they seem to want it anyway. The only county where this was not passing, as you know, this is a three-county measure, uh, King, Pierce, and Snohomish. The only county where it wasn't passing today, and we do count the ballots, so we'll see if it changes, uh, was Pierce County.
1: Yeah. Yeah and they'll get light rail you're right it goes to Tacoma you know interestingly i look back at the at the other two votes for light rail in 2008 i believe it was for sound transit 2 and 1996 for sound transit 1 both times the opponents brought up this claim that it's not going to reduce congestion and both times the 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 campaigns admitted as much you know and and they said hey you can't eliminate congestion completely. What you provide is an alternative. So that came up again this time. And it's interesting that voters basically get that or seem to be all right with that, you know, because it's such a compelling soundbite that, hey, this isn't going to reduce congestion. You'd think that that would sway more voters, but they like this idea of an alternative.
0: Well, that an an alternative, but I, I was hosting a Civic Cocktail recently about this and I asked the audience and I don't remember if I used the word congestion or traffic, but I asked the audience, raise your hand if you think this will improve, in other words, part of your day, that part where you're sitting in traffic or congestion, whatever word you want to use. And most of the audience raised their hand. So even though they officially said this will not reduce congestion, there's this sense, oh, come on. They're still if voting I, for it. They're still voting for <laughs> it. So how could it, you know, sort of like how could it not make something better?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I uh, I interviewed Dow Constantine just a name drop again. Uh, so much name drop. We in had there. him I can't on. Take most we news. had him on the on the <laughs> Q13 News this morning. He was actually in studio. This is the live interview. Um, he of course is the board chair of Sound Transit and obviously and the King County executive. Number one cheerleader, bar none. Huge win for him. He was the biggest face of this, you know. And I said to him during the interview, I said, "Okay, you guys won. You got your, you know, you got your program. Can't you do this quicker?" You know this twenty-five year timeline, this thirty-year timeline is just brutal. You just can't wait for
0: that train that long. I'll be standing there forever. He basically said,
1: "We will, we will do it earlier." And it dawned on me: aha, I get what's going on here. They are so sensitive to bringing this on time and on budget that they actually padded the timeline. They padded the budget. That's why. That's how
0: you get to say on time and on budget. You make, you make the timeline so utterly doable. That you can't miss, right? And that's what
1: happened. I mean, when they did the big reset in the early 2000s and changed all the original assumptions and timelines and budgets, they have actually fulfilled most of those. And the most recent station openings and light rail extensions have been on time on budget. That's a huge talking point for them. So they can now, by having such a long timeline, bring it back a year or two or three and start opening stations sooner and that's going to get them a lot of kudos.
0: Yeah, they you know they did a good job. They were they were relentless about this, and their advertising they they had more money than anybody the other side certainly. So it was just that was just. Fascinating.
1: Okay. The seventh congressional district. We were all watching this so much. Of course, Pramila Jayapal, Brady Walkinshaw. Jayapal walks away with it, not even close. Um, The only competitive congressional race in the state, really, because of gerrymandering. And it's only competitive here because we have a top two. And so you had two Democrats running for it. I thought this would be closer. You know, you kind of heard the buzz. You thought, gosh, maybe Brady can pull it out, even though he was behind since the primary.
0: Or just be a little bit. Closer, yeah. just the way what do you the make of the was?
1: margin, which is what? She's got 57% of the vote, something like that.
0: Yeah, I think, I think money works like it always does. And I also think, and I really learned this lesson this election. This is really interesting. So when you get to about two weeks out from an election, it almost doesn't matter who does what, if it's presidential year, because it's so noisy. It's hard to make an impact. The overall din is so loud. So, for example, as we know, Brady Walkenshaw tried to draw a distinction between himself and Pramila Jayapal, saying she didn't have the best attendance record down in the state Senate. And then they had that fight with her ad saying he was demeaning to women and all of this. And for the insiders, this was this turning point. Oh, my gosh, she's demeaning to women. Or why is she beating up on, you know, this guy and comparing him to Donald Trump? our next president. Uh, but all of that seems to have just been lost in how much overall screaming noise there was. And that, that actually played out in the Secretary of State's race as well. So Kim Wyman's problems came along, but they were—the die were cast, Cast. And the benefit
1: of the doubt, again, I think the benefit of the doubt happened on that on that Secretary of State's race. You know, I pointed this out a couple times on, on our air that Pramila Jayapal is, what, 51, Brady walkinshaw's t- 32, so basically 20 years of difference. She didn't love it when I pointed that out, but I also That's was making...
0: That's demeaning to women, isn't it?
1: <laughs> well, I was making the case that she has 20 more years of being out there and being an activist, and that actually certainly helped her. I mean, you can't have done as much as she's done without accumulating allies, accumulating political, you know, chits, if you will. I mean, she just had more leverage from her career to to, to bring to this race than Brady Walkinshaw. It's just hard at 32 to, to have had the track record of organizing political activity that she has at, at, at 51.
0: What's fascinating to me is we're almost at the end of our podcast and we haven't even spoken a word about the Senate race.
1: Well, let's do it quickly. Patty Murray, she, you know, she she takes it home. What sixty one percent of the vote? You know, it's interesting in 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 an anti establishment kind of era. Here she is, a fifth term for U.S. Senate. Been back there twenty four years, and she still is able to kind of act like she's the newcomer. She's still this young. Upstart! I'm um, a woman in tennis shoes, just coming from the Shoreline School Board to 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 Congress. She has not been tainted, really, by having been back there so long.
0: I sort of disagree with that. I think it really speaks to the the time that she's spent there, that she's sort of won over the hearts of not only the J of Puget Sound, but if you look at the map, she picked up some some uh, eastern Washington counties, and she's been doing that more and more every every cycle so i think it's more speaks to the fact that she's our patty she's beloved you know she's no, she doesn't seem like she's there to sort of fight with people she seems like she's there to do the work and She had a good opponent chris vance distinguished himself he's a former state party chair he knows politics he was out very early uh... in tune with the state of washington not supporting donald trump but it's a blowout. It's an absolute yeah, and, blowout. And
1: let's be real the the Republican Party didn't didn't really rally for this candidate. I mean, Chris Vance, the good guy, you and I both know him, super smart, interesting. But he had no money, and the Republican Party didn't endow him with this campaign. I mean, what he raised three or four hundred thousand dollars. She had twelve, thirteen million. I mean, you just cannot run a competitive race. In, in Washington, especially where you're kind of facing a headwind as a, as a Republican and and think you're going to do it with $400,000. I mean, they just gave up on this race. In they effect. sort of
0: did, because I remember when he came out against Donald Trump. I remember the current state party chair, Susan Hutchinson, talking about how, well, you know, geez, he's not going to have a lot of funding if you get my drift. <laughs> uh, he's just not going to. Uh, before we run out of time, we should definitely have a moment here yeah. with initiative 732, the carbon tax. It went down almost exactly as the Stuart Elway yeah, poll predicted. Yeah, about 40, 60, 41, yeah.
1: something like that. Uh, not a surprise. And the interesting thing here is whether this kills it forever or whether it comes back and has a second life. You know, typically when initiatives are that convincing you say, certainly opponents say, if this idea ever comes up again, hey folks, the public doesn't want it. You know, that's what happened with the income tax. Every time it dies at the ballot, you kind of lose an opportunity to bring it back for a generation because anyone who's against it says, hey, the public doesn't want this. So there are gonna be all kinds of people who say, if Governor Inslee tries to bring this up again, but hey, that's the public exactly who, doesn't want the carbon tax.
0: But that's exactly who is going to bring it up again because it flows with his self-image and the thing he might want to do most in his second term. We've talked about this before. He sees himself as the climate change governor. And, you know, he doesn't have the perfect numbers in the legislature to really pull this off. But if he makes it appealing to all the groups who opposed it, he does, in fact, probably... I'm thinking, have a chance to bring it, either do it legislatively, which is tough.
1: And to shamelessly name drop one more time. I did ask Inslee uh, this morning when we were were interviewing him on TV. Well, I asked him about the carbon (laughs) initiative. I mean, I actually didn't ask him directly about it, but he brought it up. See what I mean? And he talked about his second term being about climate change and being about carbon. So I think he sees... You know, this is clearly what he wants his legacy to be. He didn't like this initiative the way it was written, but right. he does he want a carbon tax it. of some type. So and there was at the last minute some Republican support for this. You know, Slade Gordon came on board. Rob McKenna came on board. You know, Joe Fain came on board, a Republican state senator. So there's of Because they know what we're saying.
0: They know that there will be another one that they don't like as much. Right.
1: But but we'll see if he can cobble together Some kind of coalition for a carbon tax because, after all, the state has actually passed carbon limit milestones and targets. So, the state has targets they need to meet. So, they've got to do something to actually meet those targets.
0: So, hey, we are out of time. Thanks for listening to the analysts. I'm Joni Balter. He is C.R. Douglas, and we are the analysts. For more election stories, please visit us at kcts9.org.
1: To hear more podcasts from KCTS 9 Digital Studios, visit kcts9.org podcasts.